doing a special episode for March 20th, which I'm sure everybody already knows, is what? World Sparrow Day. That's right. The first of the three legs of the unholy trio is not so unholy other places, which we're going to hear about, um, and might not even be so unholy in the United States. I'm Billy Brown. I'm Tony Crowsdale. Robin Arizari. Robin is... I'm thinking of him now as like one half of our advisory committee with Hannah, <laughs> but um, he's also just like general nature guy around Philly, and in particular, he gets paid to do what? I get paid to hang out in the TTF watershed, which is the Tukany Tacony Frankfurt Creek. Um, I'm the Philly watershed coordinator, do a lot of cool stuff in Tacony Creek Park, and we support a lot of the work that the water department's doing and get to do a lot of urban birding on the side. Good stuff like that. But as you know, we're always looking for input and feedback from you guys. Um, you can hit us on Twitter at HerbWildlifeCast. You can write us an email at UrbanWildlifeCast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can even give us a call. We've got a, vo- a phone number, 267-603-3219. Again, 267-603-3219. On this episode, we're going to feature one of our audio postcards from a dude who saw, uh, who called in to talk about... Um, Urban wildlife bling. <laughs> about sharpshin hawks hunting sparrows and flushing them out from underneath cars in South Philly, which is one of the most amazing miniature wildlife spectacles of, of Philadelphia. Um, and maybe where you are, too, so I want to check that out. Yeah, maybe there's other urban occipiters in parts of the world that do the similar behavior. If you see an urban occipiter hunting or hanging out in your city, call in. Tell us about it. And you can also, if you want to record something on your phone, and then email it to us, and uh, we want to hear about what's what's going on around your city. So I'll post a link to this. We found, like, remember this last year or year before... Dave Hewitt, who we've had as like an interviewee, but we're going to have to have as a guest host soon, had sent us something, was an article from basically a hundred years ago, from someone, a bird enthusiast at, at, on the University of Pennsylvania's campus, which is in West Philly, um, but West Philly kind of like the eastern part of West Philly, um, and he was complaining about the house sparrows kind of moving in as he saw it sort of pushing out the native birds and seeing bird diversity crash. Do you know the history of the house sparrows, how they got here? From what I understand, they were brought in to like control insects associated with livestock, and they originally called them horse sparrows. And they also were introduced into cities to deal with tree pests, basically. I think all three of the unholy trio were very intentionally introduced. The starlings for their, their Shakespeare value, the pigeons as a food source, and then sort of sporting bird, and then the sparrows in an attempt to control insects. They're from somewhere else, of course, um, and how sparrows are native to Europe and much of um, Central Southern Asia, I guess. Yeah. All right, so now we're going to listen um, to our first interview. Uh, my name is Mohammed Dilawar, and uh, I'm an ornithologist uh, by profession, and presently I'm heading Nature Forever Society as the president. Uh, now, see, the sparrows are continuing uh, to decline uh, across its natural range, and Delhi or India is no different. Uh, but if you look at a landscape level in India, 
we still find some good amount of population of sparrows in rural areas where urbanization has not touched or in the outskirts of the cities but in uh, but in, in the city uh, the popula- uh, the population of sparrows is very bad uh, now see what is happening uh, for example specifically in uk or usa uh the, there is lot of urban population which feeds birds and other wildlife but in india uh, even though it was an indian tradition of feeding birds and wildlife now it is something which is fading because of the drastically changing lifestyle apart from that the urban uh, habitat of the sparrow has phenomenally changed in india because the, there is a number of new high rise buildings which are coming up which are not conducive for the nesting of the sparrows the next thing is in india uh, the landscaping or the plantation which is presently being undertaken a lot of non native plants are being used on a very large scale so this directly affects the insects which depend upon the plant and uh, the insects are one of the most vital food source for the young chicks of the sparrows so uh the next reason is specifically uh, in the urban location in the past 10 15 years after the globalization has taken place in india there has been uh, a large scale increase in the mobile phone users or cell phone users in the country so naturally the microwave poly- uh, radiation has phenomenally increased so in my view in regard to sparrows all the wrong things are happening at one single point of time now see uh, uh, you cannot save the sparrows until unless you involve the uh, citizens of the country into it because uh, that's some, one of the most important thing uh, to save sparrows is we we'll have to create habitats which is found in the homes and offices of people so what we thought about like uh, we uh, thought about getting people involved but it is not a very easy task because people are busy they are from different profession so we wondered like how can we involve people so we worked out like even if people meaningfully contribute 5 uh, minutes or half an hour in a week towards sparrow conservation they can meaningfully play an important role One of the more interesting victories that I read about was that you now have the sparrow declared the state bird of Delhi. Yeah. See, the previous chief minister of Delhi her name was Sheila Dixit and she is a avid sparrow lover. So, uh, we were working with her for conservation of sparrows and she had also inaugurated the first World Sparrow Day. So, we uh, Nature Forever Society presented a memorandum to her Uh, asking her to declare the house sparrow as the state bird of delhi by doing this we were uh, we wanted to pass two very strong messages one is uh, if you see uh, uh, india has many states and every state have uh, birds which are very glamorous or they are highly critically endangered or threatened so the common man or the citizens rarely see this bird but house sparrow is one bird which is seen by everyone by kids uh, by adults by people from various uh, socio economic strata so it represents a common man or a common citizen of india 
because it's a common house sparrow it's a bird of the common man and india is uh, one of the largest democracy in the world and delhi is its capital so if we are able to make the common house sparrow as the state bird of delhi it gives a very strong national and international message about how the country and the state of delhi is serious about conservation of house sparrows now see for a long period of time the house sparrows were so common and they were such an integral part of uh, the life that people ra- uh, rarely even noticed their presence so they were found everywhere right nesting in the homes under uh, uh, on the cups of the fans in inside the bedrooms and halls in the in a typical indian home and Uh, they used to pick grains from the uh, mom and pop uh, uh, grocery stores so they were so common that people rarely even noticed them because uh, uh, whatever is common you rarely notice it whatever is rare is more fascinating to humans uh, however now when it is starting to decline and especially the older generation which has grew uh, grown up with sparrows are absolutely concerned and they want to do lot of things about sparrows but the sad part is the younger generation the kids of today who are gro- uh, who are growing up without sparrows uh, would not be f- uh, speaking for conservation of sparrows uh, so that's a very important link that we want to reestablish is the uh, emotional attachment that people have with sparrows because until unless you are emotionally attached to something you will never rise to save it now see uh, uh, the sparrow represents uh, this uh, it's like an ambassador species for urban ecology so uh, the same thing like what a tiger is for a forest the sparrow is for a urban location so if you are able to save sparrows invariably we save lot of other flora and fauna and uh, in the same way uh, uh, because we have been continuously working for the past 10 years to make the sparrows more glamorous people are now talking about sparrows they are talking about its conservation but sadly there are a lot of other common birds which are slowly glo- going to the path of the decline in the same way that the sparrow is going the uh, native flora of india is decreasing at an alarming rate and there is very little effort which is being made towards the conservation of the native flora in india and to uh, make uh, propagate them so these are some of the burning issues that the country is facing uh, and uh, at this point of time most of the uh, conservationists they are only concerned about the tigers and the forest and the uh common man in india uh, the citizens of india are so much uh, are struggling in uh, earning their daily bread and butter like conservation takes a totally back seat in all this uh, uh what do you say struggle of survival in india so in comparison to europe or america Uh, where conservation of natural resources is given a much more higher priority in india it takes a back seat because of the socio economical condition of the country oh uh, the same year and i would like to thank you for uh, 
taking up the issues of uh, sparrows and i'm sure the podcast that you're going to do will create much more awareness in uh, america also so robin i saw you nodding along at a few points yeah taking notes too it looks like taking some notes some some good stuff it's an interesting you know perspective to look at something that we kind of see as you know a nuisance a problem in some instances and Dare I use the term trash bird? Dare say. Yeah. Uh, that'd be a great band name. I just, trash bird, that'd be it. Just to see, you know, this effort or a to song save this. Moist Owlette to take that. Yeah. Just the effort to save the bird and make it this kind of, you know, like a rallying symbol for the, for, you know, for the city at least. And, and what just really resonated was the issues of, you know, in an urban area where you have, people have so many other priorities that are kind of really pressing in their lives and to convince someone to care about, you know, their local wildlife or, or their creek down their street from them. It takes, you know, it takes some work to really make that connection for people sometimes. Yeah. I mean, Philly, for perspective, Philadelphia has something like 23% poverty rate, which is um, very high. And then the neighborhoods in Philadelphia that the creek flows, that the Coney Creek flows from Frankfurt are probably higher than that. Yeah, that's it's a big challenge. Yeah. Um, his talking about like the common man, like in the sparrow, that kind of thing. It just reminded me of sort of episodes of like of sort of routine sparrows still getting people's attention. Like I remember, I was in this was in Baltimore, which I think it was a great city. I think it was kind of like a half sized Philadelphia. And I was outside some building waiting for some meeting. I forget what I was. I had a minute to kill, so I was outside. There was like some kind of sparrow brawl going on. Like there was like one sparrow and like. I forget if it was a male or female, but then there was, like, another... There was a female who was just, like, just dogging it. Like, coming after it, coming after it. And, like, a bunch of sparrows behind her that were just kind of, like, not engaging, but sort of watching and, like, bouncing around, like, like the crowd around a fight, you know? And a woman walks by, and she looks at him, and we're both looking at the sparrow. She looks at me, she's like, man, she's mad about something. <laughs> like, <laughs> goes in. And it was just this great... And it was like, yeah, they were sparrows, but it was this great, like, little connection with wildlife moment you know just outside like just outside a random building in baltimore i like it too when you can interact with them you know when you could you could feed them you know they'll come take a bread crust right out of your hand or my case you know a piece of a soft pretzel okay (laughs) you're something else but yeah okay yeah you know (laughs) people don't even realize that the uh that the males and females are the same species because they look so different they do right Often, too, new birders so often will see female house sparrows and think there's something else. And you have to burst their bubble and be like, sorry, it's just a female house sparrow. Mm-hmm. I think they're adorable, you know? Um, I don't know if we already celebrated them as a synanthropic organism. Synanthropic organism. But if we have to do a do-over, we'll do it, because this is World Sparrow Day, guys. Synanthropic organism. So, my name is Jessica Burnett, and I'm currently a PhD student at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, where I'm working with Drs. Craig Allen and Dirac Twidwell on detecting and predicting regime shifts in space and time, um, and my focus will be on can we and how can we detect massive scale, like broad-scale changes in bird communities, especially in urban areas. And I did my master's research at the University of Florida with doctors Mike Moulton and Catherine Stevens, 
and I did my thesis on the house sparrow decline. And so ever since then, I've just had an affinity for house sparrows and urban avian ecology. So I love birds in the city. There's a growing interest for sure in understanding what's going on in our urban areas and cities. And to be honest, when I when I got into wildlife ecology and conservation, I had the idea that I would be working in those remote areas and away from people. However, after working with the house sparrow and other trash birds, I found that a lot of there's a lot of questions to be answered in urban areas, and it's where it's most exciting for me. And it's also a lot cheaper to do field work in cities. I want to ride my bike to my self site and not get on a float plane. Yeah, it's kind of convenient, and you don't have long long days. So uh, you and Billy were talking a bit. I, I think I missed out. We, we refer to you know, house sparrows, starlings, and pigeons as the unholy trio, and Seems like you are a bit of a defender of the house sparrows. So could you plead your case for the house sparrows? Yeah, so the unholy trio, I mean, I've I've heard you guys refer to them as the unholy trio, and I think what the president of the ADA also and probably other avid bird watchers. But, you know, the the house sparrow is declining across the globe in most across most of its native and non native range. And Especially in the UK where they're actually, I think their red list is not IUCN red list, but whatever the UK's red list is. You know, they've been declining for the last 50 to 70 years in the UK and researchers just don't know why. And it's kind of disturbing because we've got this species, the house sparrow, European starling, you know, those undesirable non-native species that are just no longer thriving alongside us in urban areas. And it's just a little disturbing to me because what's going to happen to our native wildlife? And it may be positive that, you know, if the house sparrows are extirpated or pushed out of our urban areas, maybe that'll make room for the native species and the more desirable species. But what happens if no no bird species are able to thrive in our cities anymore? Um, that's why it's really interesting, and I don't consider them unholy. And there's also a push by some, not necessarily myself, um, but in the invasive species ecology realm, that maybe these species shouldn't be considered harmful, invasive in these novel ecosystems that are cities. Maybe they're not considered non-native anymore. I don't I don't know, but that's why I like the house sparrow, and I don't consider them unholy whatsoever. But of course, we do have people on the other side of the camp, especially in North America, the bluebird enthusiasts. Well, that's interesting, because how much of a problem are they really? Because I work in uh, the Wissahickon Park, so I, I'm talking to you. I'm right. In, I'm talking to you right there. I'm on my lunch break, so I'm in the woods. And at our feeders, we we get no house sparrows whatsoever. Yeah. If you, if you were to have feeder up at you know only a couple hundred yards, we're on the border of the park. You go a few hundred yards from here, then you'd probably have almost nothing but house sparrows. So, so they really seem to be confined to really build up areas. So, how much of a of a problem do they really pose to native species in terms of competition because, you know, they really disappear once you get into natural conditions, in my, you know, experience. Yeah, so my opinion is that they're, and from my experience, uh, mostly in the southeast United States, is that they really aren't posing negative consequences to native species, except when they, you know, sometimes do encounter, for example, other cavity nesters like the eastern bluebirds. What's been documented, especially when the house sparrow was doing really, really well in North America, is that if a house sparrow found a bluebird's nest that was occupied, it might peck out the brains of the eastern bluebird or other native cavity nesters. But what's happening to the house sparrows 
according to my research, um, is that they're becoming increasingly restricted to those built-up areas you were talking about. So they're no longer really thriving in exurban or peri-urban areas or really areas where there's any forests, uh, any canopy forest. So I, I'm not sure that other than the birds pooping on people's heads or making a mess in their soup uh, and cleanliness issues, there's really no harmful effects that I think they're still posing to native wildlife, including humans. With us, uh, both this park and Pennypack Park, the house sparrows aren't the ones taking um, bluebird boxes. It's native species, uh, house wrens and chickadees and whatnot. But it's not a house sparrow. So, and you can't get any more urban than Philly. I still we still get cardinals and goldfinches and blue jays. Obviously, yeah, native species are still. Able. I'm really interested in is in these older cities like Philly, and I'm not sure how canopied or forested. Some parts of Philly are, but what's happening as our cities age, and especially in like mid-sized cities where urban greening or the growth of the physical um, and vertical growth of our forests may be facilitating the invasion, so to say, of our urban adaptive species like the cardinals. Do you look at the diet of the house of the urban house sparrows much? No, I did no diet work. I'm just wondering, are they like is bread is like bread crust and like pizza crust? And yeah. Fritos and French fries versus seeds. And yeah, insects. these rescues is a pretty substantial part of of their diet in the highly urbanized setting. But of course, if the house sparrow does have access to waste grains or seed heads, they will exploit those at any cost. And one of the leading hypotheses, and this comes out of a lot of work that's been done in the UK, is that during the breeding season, of course, the nestling sparrows who actually uh, are multiple brooders throughout the year, so that they'll sit on multiple nests throughout the year. Insect availability in urban areas, which sounds like that's something that you worked on for your masters, uh, may be a limiting factor to the breeding success and uh, colony growth or population growth of the house sparrow. So diet is definitely an interesting facet of their decline in all urban sparrows and birds. So unfortunately, I'm not primarily focusing on the house sparrow anymore since starting my um, doctoral program. Um, but what I did at the University of Florida for my master's work was first we did, we looked at the Christmas Bird Count, which is a citizen science-based program hosted by the Audubon Society. And these are basically wintering bird counts. And again, I'm sure you're familiar with this. Um, yeah, I do many of them. Counts. Yeah, these are winter bird counts conducted annually and so what I did first was we looked at what's going on on these Christmas bird counts over time, over large periods of time with the house sparrow and other synanthropic species or urban exploiters. And what we found was, unsurprisingly, yeah, the house sparrows are declining in Florida and the southeast. And we next did a site-level study in the city of Gainesville, Florida, which is where the University of Florida is. And we basically wanted to just find out, hey, where are these house sparrows in our study area in Gainesville? And what we found, um, we sampled in both residential areas and highly urbanized settings. So an example of a residential area would be a single-family housing neighborhood. And in Florida, a lot of these single-family housing neighborhoods are, have pretty nice old-growth canopies. And the urban settings in Florida sometimes have minimal canopy growth, and sometimes they're just no trees at all. Uh, and what we found yeah. was uh, we conducted hundreds of point counts over a single season, 
in the summer of, I believe, 2013. And we found literally zero house sparrows in the residential areas of Gainesville, Florida. And this may be a phenomenon occurring in the in southeastern states um, adjacent to and near Florida, um, but that's not something that we replicated at other sites. So we thought that was really, really interesting. Hey, even though house sparrows could probably exploit and outcompete other native birds and non-native birds at the bird feeders, they just start there. And we also found in the urban areas, those highly developed business districts or outside of a grocery store, we found that their numbers or their colonies are pretty limited and restricted to uh, highly, highly developed areas. And we found a negative relationship between urban greening or the amount of green vegetation, trees, and residential areas and the probability of a house sparrow being present at a site. It would be really interesting if um, that occupancy stuff, looking at where house sparrows are in relation to the amount of urban greening or canopy cover, could be replicated at broader scales or even at another site to do some comparative work. Well, we should talk um, because I, I want to – since I work for Parks and Rec and I work in a um, – I'm part of the Delaware Valley Ornithological Club, and you mentioned the, the – you had mentioned Chris's bird counts, and I feel that, you know, they're great, but they don't tell us anything about birds the rest of the year. And I was thinking of doing one with my friend, um, doing a, a breeding bird count for Philadelphia specifically. But what we wanted to do was not just – it's really easy to get people to cover all the uh, green area um, spaces, and we could probably get that. Yeah. Even though we have 10,000 acres of them in Philly, we could still probably get them covered. You know, how do we get, the, you know, where almost 2 million people live, <laughs> how do we get the residential areas covered? So we're thinking of doing, like, dividing up the city by housing types and, and just sampling. So that would give us a lot of information on on house sparrows, see what they look like in areas where there's row houses with no lawns to where there's row houses with little lawns to where there's, you know, twins, where there's single-family houses to where there's neighborhoods that have tree cover versus no tree cover. Like, we're going to look at all that, so. Yeah, another question of interest for me is how do we efficiently and correctly monitor these synanthropic or urban exploiter species? When I mentioned earlier that I used the Christmas bird count, uh, to monitor population or to estimate population trends or overall trends of the house sparrow. I use the Christmas bird count, which is not exactly reliable for population or abundances in urban birds because, as you mentioned before, it's really easy to get bird watchers to go out to those nice, forested, natural landscapes. But who the heck wants to go sample behind a dumpster like I did? Yeah, exactly. Well, this guy, but other people, it's harder, yeah. Yeah, well, maybe the people listening to the podcast, but yeah, very few people want to do that. Um, you know, when I present this work saying, look, house fairs are declining, people don't believe me, and then I say, look, while they're disappearing from our backyards, they still don't believe me. And when I present this work at national and regional conferences, the people who aren't from the southeastern U.S. and Florida in particular, just really, they, they didn't believe me at all that any of the things that I was saying, was saying about the house fair were true. And then when I moved out to the Midwest, to Nebraska, I live in a fairly suburban area in a single-family home, and my feeders are dominated by house sparrows. So whether or not these, uh, you know, the missingness of the house sparrow in residential areas is going to spread out to areas like the Midwest is unknown. Well, hopefully this interview will just generate this tsunami of people interested in house sparrows in urban areas and will flood you with information. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll make one of our catchy songs about it. 
As long as there's double bass pedal, we're good. Double bass pedal? We can make it happen. Okay, great. Robin was just at the end saying something cool because the end of that interview, we're talking about Tony and Jessica. We're talking about like the need to like to take the the passion of birders and get them out of like the hot spots down the shore or like Cape May or or the reservoir and like the sewage treatment plant. The sewage treatment plant, which in Philadelphia is a big deal, home of the the uh, winter ruffling swallows. And get them into just like the neighborhoods to count things like sparrows. And Robin was saying, I was saying how I've gotten into the practice of now, like if I'm, you know, in the grocery store parking lot, taking some time to, you know, identify what's what's hanging around. The kind of you got ringbill gulls and, and starlings and all sorts of stuff. But like I've seen kestrels over a shop right, you know, just uh, yeah. like a month ago. And it's the kind of thing, especially in a city like Philly, that's going through this big change right now as all this green stormwater infrastructure goes in and all these rain gardens with native plants are going in. I'm really interested in seeing how the introduction of these little islands and pockets of native plants starts, you know, weather over time. That'll start so when you to, say a garden, these are not big gardens. So for context, no, like how big is a stormwater bump out garden? I mean, most of these little things, you're talking maybe three feet by 10 feet and and you might have a couple of these you know down the block there's some bigger ones going in but just this idea that you're creating this little patchwork yeah and you can create little habitat and and kind of expand habitat into the residential and you know our very urban fabric but then like and but the question of like sparrows isn't just a question of those little nuggets of habitat but also just like how many sparrows are living in the habitat of like my block, right? right. <laughs> like, or yeah, we yeah. did. Well, we, we or the parking lot, the supermarket. The idea of of doing sampling, yeah, and sample, um, figure out like different housing types, different tree cover, and and make those into zones, and then sample a few, and then extrapolate from there. So you don't have to go every block. Yeah, no way you could do that in Philly. There's a lot of blocks, but you could like get yeah, a good sampling of blocks and just. See what's on your what's what's outside the. And you can house. assume that that's it's probably uniform, more or less. Yeah, the typical row home supports X number of sparrows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> By now, you might have already heard some sparrow calls that I recorded on the way to work. You know, on our block, and then at like Washington Square, which is in Center City, and just like it wasn't hard for me to find sparrow. <laughs> like I was like, I wonder if I'll hear any sparrows call. Okay, there's another one. There's another one. There's another one. They're like practically ubiquitous throughout built up Philadelphia. But Robin, you're just talking about even Tacony. Tacony is a much narrower park, you know, this ribbon of green compared to some of the bigger watershed parks in the city like the Wissahickon and Pennypack. Um, Tacony is just much narrower than, than our bigger watershed parks. But even there, you really don't see the house sparrows infiltrate into the, the deeper parts of the park really like they just they're content to hang out on you know on the same block you know with the porches out front they'll hang out on the pavement and you know they don't as soon as you make that transition in you see kind of there's the house sparrows on the edge once you get in you start to see the song sparrows you know white throats and all that kind of stuff just shifts feeder up at the cedar's house which is a cafe literally 50 yards inside was taken park and there's and across the street for the entrances you know residential street with house sparrows on it 
and they don't come to the feeder that's 50 yards from the street. Who comes to the feeder? Um, chickadees, um, nuthatches, cardinals, the whole you know usual suite of woodpeckers. By the way, I definitely put a bird feeder up at the cafe that I frequent. Uh, I don't know if you caught that. The, 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 is a cafe that I go eat lunch at, and I put a bird feeder up at it so I can watch <laughs> birds while I eat lunch. <laughs> Wait, up in what's the heckin'? Yeah, it's a cafe. It's not the siege house. It's not my work. It's not their feeder. So I was like, here, why don't you put a feeder here? I put a feeder at my. You know what you need? Burger King. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, yes. Uh, so, in any case, uh, we was you know when this is our little urban wildlife contribution to World Sparrow Day. For our, our, our friends, our people in, in Europe, through India, who are genuinely de- concerned about the decline of one of their native birds, moral support, good vibes will send. Absolutely. And, uh, and then even in, even in our continent, where we don't have such high regard for the house sparrow, um, maybe we should. And they make a neat model organism for the novel ecosystem. Perhaps other the canary in the mind of the novel ecosystem. Maybe. And if you do a bird research out there in urban areas and you're feeling down, just know that there's some folks in Philadelphia that think you're cool. That's true. We want to hear from you. If you're doing urban bird research and you're feeling down, you can record a little something on your phone and send it to us. Or urban wildlife research in general. Urban wildlife research in general, you can give us a call and leave a message at 267-603-3219. You can email us at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com. Tweet about birds at us at herbwildlifecast. And find us on Facebook. Leave a comment over there. And for everybody out there, make sure you rate us on your favorite podcasting software, whether that's iTunes or Stitcher. Tell us what you think so other people can find it. And tell your friends what you think. Um, Spread the word. Absolutely. If you need encouragement to keep going... You feel you're lonely. You're in a place in the world you don't think there's anybody else who loves, loves wildlife like you do, and you feel alienated. You can always call us. Call us at that number anytime. The wildlife bling. Hi, my name's John Jensen. Uh, I live down in South Philadelphia. I uh, love Urban Wildlife Podcast, and uh, I'm a volunteer with the Friends of the Wissahickon and the PHS Tree Tenders. I really love it when I'm driving home and the sharp-shinned hawks are flying down the narrow South Philadelphia streets, flushing the sparrows out from underneath the cars. It's better than a space fight scene in Star Wars, watching them fly underneath cars, flush birds out, go back and forth across the street, all while traffic is driving along, just like nothing else is going on. sparrows have started to you know they've been nesting in there and i started going out and i thought this is a good little citizen science project i will check all these little things and see which ones have nests in them because they're they're coming in and out some of them have like baseballs because it's by the little league and the kids are stuffing bottles in them but i was trying to see the elevation like where do they prefer to nest and then life is just crazy so i never got back to it but i figured once my interns i mean my my children once they get old enough, I'll put them on it and I'll have them fulfill my citizen science projects. This might be the first <laughs> truly compelling 
reason to have children that I've heard. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to procreate with me and have raise an army of army wildlife of enthusiasts, you can also call the phone number. Thank you.